0: Log Talk Radio. way of mowing, <laughs> good man, time. which direction we are going, and
1: that Camino, it would have been yeah
2: Tipping point. Good evening, everybody out there in Radio Lane. This is Larry Goodman, glad to be here with you or without you. Uh, Mr. Platinum, hopefully we'll be along shortly. And our guest tonight, Tim Blackman, the promoter of IWE, and Todd Sexton, who is looking at his retirement match coming up this Saturday at Southern Fride's Shindig. Um, we're going to jump right into it, and hopefully Steve will be along shortly. I believe we've got Tim Blackman on the line right here. Let's see if this is him. Joining us now, IWE promoter yes, Tim Blackman.
3: Sir. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing good.
2: Good, good. So thanks for um, for coming out tonight. I understand you wanted to talk a little bit about um, how IWD is going to address things going forward and you know just about the incident with Joe Black and the fan that took place at your last show
3: yeah um did anything happen big last month at uh i w s anniversary show i mean i I didn't hear anything about it didn't see it nowhere, so I was just wondering <laughs> um uh, um the end of the day, I just wanted to uh to to talk to y'all and you know y'all me questions whatever you need to do, but this in no means is a is is gonna be a blame game. Um mm-hmm. if anything, I'm the promoter. Everything runs uphill. I hate excuses. I work in the car business so people always say that you uh that we don't accept responsibility, but I'm not that guy. I accept full responsibility for anything. And everything goes up to the hill, goes to the top. So um and no way am I gonna place blame on anybody um in that building other than myself. Um I am gonna in turn explain a couple of things that that took place that we're gonna we're gonna fix and um some things that we look to never happen again okay so um first off i believe if anybody knows me in the business and i i would believe the boys would speak to this is I genuinely care about every single person, not just in the back, but every person that comes into the building that supports me and IWE period. Um I I will do anything I can for any of them. And when something like this happens, it hurts my heart to a point where um I feel like that there's something more that I can do in the long run. And um should Joe Black have flipped the hat? Probably not. The fans should not have bonded in any way, shape, or form the way he did. Um, should I had had cops there? Yes. Um, did security answer the call as uh, little trained as they was? I believe so, getting there within five seconds. Um but all in all, there was so many things that took place that could have prevented the event from even happening um, from the time the doors opened.
2: So talk about that um, a, little, a little bit. What, what what could have been done differently? Obviously, hindsight's wonderful. But yeah, what hindsight's been
3: done... always... Um, I think that we could uh, do last calls. I think that, you know, with... Uh, it being a venue that serves alcohol, we can figure out a way that we can uh, limit Mm. some people at the end of the day. Um, You know, and that's, you know, based off of the building. And we've been running for three years. And, you know, now that we're growing to to having the biggest crowds we've ever had that we've never had to deal with, you know, there's some things that we need to step up and change and, and make even more efficient and security is definitely one of them, which we have addressed. Um, I've already called Richmond County, um, and Richmond County will have three officers, patrol officers there, uh, in uniform and behind the rail to make sure nothing happens and throughout the building. Um, so we already have that in place. Um, I believe that that presence will definitely change, um, just people in general, people's attitudes in general, just by having people there. Um, so, and and again, there's not an excuse um, that we didn't have them there. It's just they weren't there, and they should have been there, and that's going to be fixed. Um, I I believe so, um, that. Qu- question Go ahead. On The night you know, of the
2: show. I... Well, quick question on the night I started for interrupting, but on the night of the show, what was the security situation then? If if there weren't police actually present. Do you have your own security guys? No, we,
3: had, we had security. We had, um, I think we had eight guys uh, throughout the building and three around the ring. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had beefed up security from uh, another incident that happened in January. So we had, you know, field roles and put people in positions, um, but we just didn't have, a, you know, patrol officers there or some type of gotcha. sheriff there The to actually, you know, patrol the place. And, again, that's that's totally my fault. Um, And it won't happen again by any means whatsoever. But I also want to say about people out there saying that, you know, as far as security, didn't do the job, stuff like that, I want to say this incident happened, and it was a very bad incident. But there was no cops. Nobody felt like the cops needed to be called out of 306 people there, plus that's not counting um, people that worked there, people that were in the back room. 306 fans were there, and not one person felt the need to, to call the cops during the incident. So that tells me that the incident was diffused to a point where it's well, enough not to have to call the police. There was no charge at all. It, it was just
2: one guy, is that right, who was involved? Any, Correct. It wasn't like a group of fans or anything like
3: that. No, it was one guy. And out of 306 fans that were there, I have not received one email, one text, one call that stated that they felt unsafe.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that that can be overlooked. Should the incident happen, no. But I believe that there would have been one Karen in there if she felt like she needed to call the cops. She was going to call the cops to 306 people. Sure. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I, I believe that the incident was awful and shouldn't have happened, but I believe it was handled as best we could with who we had there. Um. Joe Black is not a, a, a wrestler out of control. He is one of the best wrestlers in the world, period. That's my opinion. Uh, with him doing, uh, flipping the hat, I, I've seen it a thousand times. Uh, yeah. You know, man, he's not a bad person. Um, I also want to touch on the uh, the fan a little bit. Because at the beginning of this conversation, remember I told you I care about every person that walks in the door. Mm-hmm. The fan overreacted, and he was totally out of line with the HIPAA. Shouldn't happen. Period. But the stuff that's going around on the internet um, about this person being a racist person is not true. Um, I don't. I'm not like best friends with this person by any means. I did go to school with this person. I do know this person. Um, lifestyle and life outside of what took place in the incident um, he uh, took into um, young, uh, black, young men, black young men into his house and he raised them with no fanfare he didn't he didn't want glory for it he did it because he genuinely cares about people whether they're black, white, gray blue, purple it doesn't matter This man made a mistake, and he shouldn't have done what he did, and he knows that. But by no means is this a racist event, and um, I think that hurts my heart worse than anything coming out of that 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 anybody would be able to say that about anything that I'm associated with, because that is not true.
2: You know, I uh, I heard uh, Joe Black's comments the next night at Southern States Pro. And you know the thing he brought up was that it was you know uh, a situation of he put a liquid courage that um, you know that this this was an alcohol fuel situation.
3: Yes, I believe it was an alcohol fuel situation, but I, I I just I really feel like I needed to put that out there because I don't feel like it was anything to do with a race, and I, I feel like mm-hmm. there's a lot of people out there pointing to that, and and I just I really feel like that's not fair to. To the fan or to Joe in this incident, because this incident obviously it shouldn't have happened, but that's not what fueled it. What fueled it was alcohol, or what yeah. fueled it was was an overreaction to something that 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 shouldn't. You know what I'm saying? It was an overreaction. Um,
2: but well, as yeah, far I mean, as that, I, mean, goes, as
3: I, I don't think the fan is a bad person for making a mistake. In other words, no, I, as I, you said, I, I
2: mean, I, should should Joe have flip the head off the guy? Well, obviously, in retrospect, not. On the other hand, you, know, as you said, I've seen it a thousand times, you most fans just laugh. You know, they just laugh it off. Yeah, and, they and, and, it off and, 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 and enjoy it, that the, it. That, the, that, that the wrestler involved in
3: in that way. Yeah. Um, and, and like I said, by by no means is Joe a bad bad dude. He is a he's a bad dude in a in a good sense compared. To like mm-hmm. he, you know, one of the best wrestlers in the world. But, um, other than that. I think Joe is amazing. Um, I love Joe to death. Um, I I haven't known Joe that long, as far as on a personal level, until uh, this year. I think November or so was the first time that we booked him, and I just uh, he's just one of those guys that that is there to help. He's there to do everything he can to make people better. He's there to mentor people. He's there to lift people up. He's there to encourage people. He's not that dude that is a bad guy either. So I don't think that neither guy needs to be bashed by an incident that shouldn't have took place. People make mistakes. People move on. We're going to grow from it. I feel as if I want to do something for the community based out of all of this, and I am working – hand in hand with different things. And I don't want to necessarily let the cat out of the bag or anything like that right now, but I really feel like out of a situation, what we need to do as human beings in a world that is torn apart from, from division, from this belief to that belief, to other belief or whatever, that we need to bring, bring something good out of a bad situation. And that is what I'm going to do. Hands down. I'm going to figure out a way that we can, uh, show the Augusta community um, something good out of what took place. Great, great. Well, uh, while
2: we've got you, Kim, can you tell us, uh, give us any kind of a little preview of, of, you know, the particulars of your next event? When is it anything that's already been released as far as what's going to be taking place at that event?
3: Um, Well, and I I can't take away the, the good event that took place either. You know, know. I mean, (laughs) the the freaking anniversary show was, I mean, we had AC Mack over huge, okay? Like, I mean, people were cheering AC Mack at IWE big time. We had um, the Skrilla and uh, Owen feud are just, they're just battling it out. I don't know where that's going to end up. Um, Lindsay Snow comes out and just – and beats Layla Gray. Uh, the, she's fan favorite. Everybody loves her. We had Legacy show up out of nowhere and uh, got chill bumps when he come out there. Uh, White Mike and uh, Rob Kiljoy feud is, if you're not watching that feud, you're missing something. That feud in itself, The the fans that are invested so much into that feud over a year now from the ducks being on top to white mike turning to to rob and him going at it and now mikey has uh mike has mikey as his property i mean that that feud in itself has so many layers that if it's not considered for feud of the year i i don't know what a feud could be just because other people aren't talking about it i guess um but that feud if you're invested in anything that feud should be feud of the year um, you got Anthony Henry and Joe Black who just freaking tore the house down, period. Um, and then you got Exotic Youth and this other strong style turning. You had uh, All-Star Special there coming out, the fans singing. Um, I got friends in low places. I mean, there's chill bumps all over the place throughout the show. Um, the next show is going to be July the 9th, titled July the 9th. Um, Cruel shows up at the end of the show, out of nowhere. Cruel shows up. What's going to happen there? I mean, Cruel facing off with Joe Black. He, uh, he chokeslams uh, Tyreek. Uh, what's going on? Is this uh, a feud? Is he coming out to address it? I, what, what's going on with them two? I mean, it's, there's so many stories, so many good things going on with IWE that it cannot be overshadowed by one bad incident, and I will not let it be overshadowed by one incident. I'm going to go forward, and we're going to push as hard as we can to make sure that everybody's safe everybody's covered and we're going to uh, put on the best show in Georgia period
2: well that's great you know um Tim I think Mr. uh Platinum just rolled in here so see yes, if, he has better, if, he wants to, if he wants to throw in here
3: <laughs> better late than never you know if you're just going to show up when you want to <laughs> I hope you're yeah, you
1: listening know, Plat- uh, I listened. I listened as you ran down everything um, that's kind of going on on the card and all the stories that are happening. I mean, I can I can say having been there a year now, um, you know, stories are the big deal. Um, the size of the crowd's important, of course, that is. But at the end of the day, it's it's a much more cohesive show. I think it's a show that has ambition. Um, and that's the main thing, right? Um, the stories that are there, I, I think one notable improvement is it was a crowd that at one point was sort of segmented in what they wanted. So you had like the Ugly Duckling fans, for example, who had literally, once, once they were done wrestling, would kind of pick up and go. And they're, they're, that no longer exists. It's a show that people want to see Um, that they're invested in, you know, all the chaos with Joe Black, what was notable about it was the show was done, right? But we still had um, a packed house. Um, I just, you know, when I broke down the video of Joe Black and everything that happened, what was notable was, like, how – What surprised me, actually, and it's the thing that never gets talked about when people go over what happened, is how many people actually kind of thought on their feet to try to prevent the thing from getting worse, you know, whether that was cruel sort of grabbing Joe Black or, um, you know, the security that got out there right away. It's one of those things that will always be remembered, right? People people want to assess blame. People want to assign blame. But um, there's also a thing of (laughs) all it takes is kind of, you know, one bad actor, as they say. And as soon as the guy's hat gets flipped and he headbutts, like, at that point, people are assessing what should have been done, what could have been done, you shouldn't have done this and I've seen and I mean Larry, you could probably attest to this. Have I ever seen somebody flip somebody's hat off at a wrestling show? Yeah, we it's talked only about only yeah. about a million times. About a million times. Right? <laughs> and and the guy was sitting down, which I think is another factor that people don't factor in. It's like, Well of course he should have expected I'm like Again, how many times have I seen somebody flip somebody's hat off? A billion times. and But at the end of the day, um, heat, you know, and now I saw where people are kind of sharing that, that Amy Haven clip from a couple of years ago, right? And a bunch of people in wrestling sort of assess like, oh, she should have expected that to happen. I'm like, I'm supposed to always expect someone to jump out of their chair, sort of cross a threshold, and start swinging. (laughs) I'm like, I'm I'm sorry, you just don't. You just don't. And so, uh, like, what was remarkable was, I mean, I was there that night. It seems like I'm always there when something really big happens in wrestling in general, right, whether it was the steel horse thing in Florida or whatever, I just happened to be at the show. Um, I guess what impressed me was that Tim immediately wanted to make it right as opposed to run from it or not deal with it. Um, Because I've been at those shows as well where something, something happens and the answer is always from a promoter. Most promoters think this way, which is, oh, this is how can we turn it to our advantage as opposed to how can we deal with this thing? Um, and Tim's instinct was let's deal with this thing, which is what I admired about it a lot. Yeah, and that's what we had talked about before you jumped
3: in. I mean, I, I think that I told uh, Larry that the boys would attest that I genuinely care for each individual in that building, period. And when something like this happens it, it hurts my heart to a point where I want to fix the issue before I ever think about spinning the issue. Yeah. So and and that's and that's where we're at with that. I mean, I I I want to do something good for the community out of this and I'm I'm gonna figure out a way to do that. Um but I just I didn't want blame to be put on Joe. I didn't want blame to be put on the fan. I I am the guy in charge. I accept responsibility, and I'm going to do everything I can to fix it, that it never happens again. And IWE is going to grow, and we're going to be the best show in Georgia. Period. In my opinion. Yeah. So, well, cool. And yeah, I don't
2: thanks know if for um you thanks for coming on tonight and. Uh... Explaining uh, things from your point of view and, and how you plan, you know, to improve things going forward.
3: Yes, sir. I appreciate y'all and I uh, appreciate y'all giving me the platform to to come on and uh, to talk about it.
2: Absolutely, absolutely.
3: Thanks a lot. Yes, sir. Thank you.
2: Nice to show up.
0: Yes. <laughs>
2: uh, yeah, I think we have Mister. Uh, our next guest is uh, waiting in the wings here. Um, he's looking at uh, his retirement match coming up on Saturday. He's, uh, you know, George's version of Terry Funk. He's the number of times this guy's retired, but um, we'll see about this. what's going on with this one. I think this one might be for real. Let's bring him on. Uh, Welcome to the show i Sexton
4: I've always said I can never win As many belts as Flair But I can have As many retirements As Terry <laughs> um, And yeah This one's sticking It's it's This is definitely sticking um, <laughs> Thanks for having me guys Thanks for Steve Taking a break From his 16
1: jobs To be here too So that's <laughs> nice <laughs> Todd, I have, I have the, the most obvious question to ask in the beginning here. Okay. Um, t- to me, I mean, uh, you know, what people might not know about the Georgia wrestling community is um, I would say that there's a circle of us that actually give a shit about each other. <laughs> <laughs> and and you you kind of go out of your way. Um, you, that, right? you know that, right? You know. Yeah. You notice that, right? You know you who, go, you, yeah, people you, yeah. People go – people really do go out of their way to – and so um, in my eyes, I just knew as soon as uh, – I mean, it was Larry who told me, right, like, Todd's going to have this match. It's his last one. And never was there sort of like – I mean, Larry introduced you jokingly there, but – as soon as he he was like he's like this is his retirement match and he said it very matter of factly very seriously, and I immediately took that for what it was. I said, okay, what is, you know, as as someone who supposedly is retired a number of times, how what feels different this time to you? Um, that I know it, Larry knows it, a bunch of people know it. This is your this is your last match. Um, why is it now the one that we know is going to stick? I think
4: it goes back back to the pandemic. You know, we're all Mm. sitting around, especially us as wrestlers who can't, or, you know, bookers or what have you, can't do anything. Um, You know, I dove into watching, you know, technical wrestling and wrestling, and I was like, And I started getting, you know, focusing on my body because I had time uh, because, you know, I was at home and started, you know, envisioning, you know, ending this on a high note. And, you know, thought about the idea of doing a retirement thing and wrestling at different places and peaking at a certain point. Um, We did the uh, Sex and Alliance thing at um, Southern Fried, which, you know, and if we go through my – it's the most fun and the most beloved period of my career. And I know it's recent, but it really is. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And um, having that run, and then also starting to train with, um, with AJ, because WWE was shut down except for the one taping they do. And he realized, you know, he, he had to stay in shape because there was no house shows. So mm. he needed ring time, and I would start training with him. And that really reignited me feeling like a professional wrestler versus being the Booker guy who would come out for the gimmick match, you know. And and, and bringing all the different guys there, Ali, Ashton, Adrian, Nick, um, Undeniable were able to come to one. Logan was able to come to one. And they were doing it weekly, and it was just, you know, really, you know, reigniting my fuel for uh, performing in the ring. And where I'm at now, I got in much better shape um, in ring and physically and stuff. And then after doing this run with the Sexton Alliance and it imploded, um, I uh, just figured, I was like, it's time. And I'm going to announce it, you know, a few months ahead of time. So that way gives me a reason not to back down. It makes every match I do mean something. And it, you know, gives a story to follow leading into, because they'll look back at, you know, you know every match meant something, whether the fans realized it or not, uh, the boys did, who I was in the ring with and the stuff I do. Like I sent I you uh, a text, it was, you know, I, I finally had a match at uh, PCW, even though you yeah. weren't there and neither was Hankins. But, yeah. you know, I, I had a ball and me and Nash, you know, had that match with Nash and which I'm extremely proud of and stuff and it's just having these moments of you know having these moments to end on a high note. And um, you know, and having you know, it, it was it was time. I don't wanna be we've all seen the guys that stick around too long and I you know, you don't want that. You don't want to have a bad injury. And
3: yeah.
4: you know, you just you wanna be able to control the narrative as they say and it's a way for me to do that. Gotcha.
2: Yeah, and as you know, as somebody who's seen not 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 all of your retirement matches, but some of them, uh, and see your work this year, you're wrestling better now than you've in years. Your work's better than it's been in years. I mean, it's really impressive. <laughs> well, that, and thank you for saying that. And I've taken great pride in that.
4: And you know, that's you know, I've always been an in-ring guy. You know, I never was the big promo or the big character. You know, my calling card was what I, you know, could do in ring, and so to be able to get back to that point, uh, it had, you know, it has been a source of pride for me uh, to do that and stuff, and that's why you know it's going so well. Let me let me finish it on the high note.
2: You know, I I want to go back into the early parts of your career, but I want to touch on what you said just a couple minutes ago. Why did you enjoy that? Uh, and Alliance run so much. Why was it the most enjoyable part of your career?
4: It was a brotherhood, and it really was. These are guys, every one of them, I've had nearly 20 years of relationship with, of helping out. I've had um, the matches with Judas and the uh, the stuff with Bobby, Adrian, Buck, Nick, who I trained. And even Corey, in the early days of the thing, it was all guys that cared about each we were all friends, first and foremost, beforehand. And obviously, with, with, with Kelly in the mix, and Kelly was friends with all of them too, and it was to do that. And you know it's you know, you remember how you know, they use the NWO or DX, Hunter and Sean, you see them out there. They're having fun because they're friends. Hall and Ash, they're friends. So it's that same kind of thing. We're friends, so it all worked. And we all – there was no ego. And I got spoiled on that, quite honestly, because, you know, hey, time for us to get our ass kicked. All right, time for us to look good. Okay, what do you need? You know, it was just – and we talk about it now, and we'll say it's different now because we're not all together now, even though we're maybe all on the same show, but it, it's different but it was a run that, you know, and every one of them have told me it's the most fun they've ever had um, in their careers. And I got to agree with that. It's just, it's just magic. It's one of those things that can never be recreated for us, and it won't be. I mean, and you, were, you all seen the heat that we had. So it was a success. it's fun to do something with your friends, and it's successful. And that, that's something it was.
2: You know, it seems to me that, you know, for most of your career, you were a baby face. And, of course, during that run, you were a
1: huge,
2: huge heel. Um, how how much did that play into it, just being able to be both full-on heel?
4: Well, it was, it was different because uh, it wasn't just the heel. I had to play the role of the, you know, I'm the evil matchmaker. I'm also the player coach. And if you look back on that stuff, I lost a lot of weight because that was my role. I had to make it believable for David Manners to kick my ass, you know, or didn't think that, you know, I wasn't just a professional wrestler. Um, it was, it was, it was a, a point to where, you know, being a heel, being a heel, not being a cool heel,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
4: I mean, which there's a lot of guys miss the boat on sometimes. And it was just to be nothing likable about me absolutely nothing. You know, any, I would not show any bravery whatsoever. You know, I'd hide behind my guys. I'd use whatever, whatever rules I can and stuff and do my best to make the baby faces look as good as they can. And it was just, it was also an example of of leading by example, showing this is how you be a heel. I mean, this is how you, you, you put yourself in a position to make the people love the baby faces and to make yourself you know, people want to pay money to see you get your ass kicked. And honestly, from a, and I don't know if this sounds egotistical, at the same time it may be self-deprecating. I would probably say it's the only period where I would be an actual draw, and a draw to see my ass get kicked. Not necessarily people want to see me or want to watch me perform, but they want to see Maynard beat the shit out of me. They want to see the baby faces get the get their hands on me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. another question, another obvious one, which is um, why Southern fried um you unlike me <laughs> when i when I did my last match, I'm only going to do it at pcw right um, but for you there's there's a lot of reasons you could have done it at anarchy mm-hmm. um, but you chose to do it at southern fried is it is it because that's the place where you uh, obviously you applied your trade in both places. Um, You're a great booker in both places, literally an award-winning booker booker in both places. Um, But Southern Fried is where you're really ending it and wrapping it up. What what were you thinking about there as far as your last thing being at Southern Fried?
4: Well, I figured there I'm connected with the audience more, so it's going to make that mean more at this point. Mm. You know, I, I have more mileage, At Landmark um, Obviously And um, But at the same time In the middle of the story And it makes Sometimes the dots connect It made sense for the story My redemption is this character Who this time last year People wanted to kill me And now I'm this sympathetic character You know going out On a shield so to speak And you know And and Southern Fright has become a home where I came in as the outsider and had to deal with a lot of that, you know, and people quitting or being butt hurt or being mad that I'm bringing in guys from anarchy guys, quote unquote. Even though it doesn't matter if they're anarchy or not, as long as you're fucking good, you know. Yeah. And just you know, and I think for the the story I've had with the Sex and Alliance and the feud with Manders, it's a better bow on it than it would be an anarchy where I haven't been involved in the
1: storylines. Absolutely um, Larry, what is a what's a moment with Todd Sexton that m- maybe a lot of people don't know about or when you saw something special with him? because uh, again, Larry's just it's such a unique thing to have somebody who's covered shows in an area for so long that he's gotten to see the complete like development of a person what's What's a moment with Todd Sexton that you remember? From well, I'm,
2: ago. I'm thinking back to your early part of your career, Ty, when you, you know, initially you were a tag team wrestler, um, yep. and, involved, and involved in a lot of tag team feuds in the early part of uh, Wildside, Side, uh, you know, 2001, 2002, and, then, and then, you, then you started getting more, um, singles matches, and, um you know for example I think about the best to fight with Jimmy Rave that you had um, and your matches with Pony Mamaluke um those were those are some of my favorites
4: uh, thank you for saying that I mean you know people do remember the Jimmy Rave thing and and probably now more so because of his passing and um but Mamaluke I I will say this and I don't know if it'll come up in a question or not but the matches with Jeremy Lopez and Tony Mamaluke are where I first felt like a real professional wrestler. Mm. Like I was starting to work like I always wanted to. And I was with guys who knew how to do it and knew how to teach me and, you know, and go with a mindset because he, here's the, here's a weird thing is that I came from Texas when we came, when me and Tony came to Wildside from the Shawn Michaels school, um, even with guys more experienced, I was putting together the matches because I had a knack for psychology. I wasn't the most, you know. Tony was ten times the athlete I was, um, and I wasn't the most gifted athlete. Still not, but I could. I knew psychology just from being a lifelong fan, and that's and to me that's the reason TNT did as well as it did early on, is because I knew how to build a match. You know where murder is letting me offer. Murder One's letting me offer ideas and matches with Blackout should tell you, you know, that that he respected me. And then going there with Mama Luke and Lopez, you know, Lopez just came back from – I can't remember which promotion he worked for in Japan. It was one of the small ones. Um, And then, uh, of course, Mama Luke uh, coming off the ECW run. And and Mama Luke is one of my, you know, idols and heroes. I I love working with him. I love doing that style. And you know, here's a guy who's a descendant, in a way, of Carl Gotch, because he was taught by Malenko, who was taught by Gotch. So he had all these submission stuff, and he did Billy Robinson camps and stuff. So he was, to me, it was a kid in a candy store. Yeah, yeah.
2: He, um, uh, just to touch on him for a second, uh, you know, to me, he's sort of an un- unappreciated guy in, in Wildside. History in the sense of, I think he played a pretty important role, even though he was he wasn't there that long and didn't wrestle that many matches. He wrestled important matches and kind of elevated the whole me kind of elevated things any time he was around. So, um, but back to what was it like to teaming with um, uh, Tony Stradlin or Santa It like you guys were like different personality types. Am I wrong
4: about that? <sighs> Y'all, y'all ever seen Big Bang Theory? Yeah. The television yeah. show Big Bang Theory? Yes. Sheldon and Leonard? That's what it was like. I love Tony to death, and I will continue to love Tony, but he was frustrating as hell. Um, but, and we lived together. In Texas, we were signed as roommates at the Shawn Michaels Wrestling Academy. So that's how we met. So dove right in, and you know he was a he was, uh, you know he's nineteen, I'm twenty, but it seemed a lot bigger age difference. Um, and you know he, I, once we were done with the school and the promotion shut down for a little bit, I moved back home to Atlanta, and a couple months later there he is. <laughs> he followed me down here and stuff, and then we end up getting, a, you know, we weren't just teaming together, we were living together. I mean, so it was, so we got on each other's nerves because Tony has that kind of personality. And I <laughs> had to protect him from himself several times. Um, and then at one point, you know, it's me and him living together along with my brother, Jason, not Brent, and um, Sal. Sal's on the couch. Yeah. So, and, um, but Tony, Tony, like I said, great athlete, a natural athlete could do anything in the world he wanted to do he at the time didn't know where to do it and I would try to explain to him and then he would think I was holding him back when I was trying to teach him things and show him things cuz in Texas for a while Rudy wouldn't let him wrestle because he kept putting his arm down on bumps and you know I was having matches on the Texas shows and, and Tony was having to still set up ring crew so I think there was some resentment there but I was always the one pushing for Tony to get an opportunity uh, to do that. But, I mean, we have we have a bond there. I haven't talked to him in many, many years. Um, but if he needed me, I'd be there for him. And the same would probably be true on the other side and stuff. But, uh, yeah, it, but it was – it could have been very nerve-wracking at times, very much so. Like, for instance, we worked the um, – when the Briscoes came down for the shots, mm-hmm. Tony would like – he you know, the Briscoes were developing their name at the time up north. Um, but they were still kids, I mean, which is ridiculous when you look back on it, how young they were. And I would explain stuff and try to, you know, be the uh, grown-up in the room, as Steve likes to say. And um, then Tony would be like, no, just let them do what they want to do. And I'm like, you know, no, no, well, they got to learn. It doesn't do any good if I just let, you know, I mean, and so, and then the Briscoes did. And they'll, they'll thank me for it later when they realized what I was, what I was doing and stuff. So it's just you know, it, it could be a battle with Tony at times.
2: How yeah. did you guys first get get booked into um, Wildside?
4: Oh, um, uh, do you remember uh, Steve Wooden because he wasn't around? Larry, do you remember Chris Long? Oh, yeah. I know uh,
1: Chris very Long because yes, I mean yes, I, yes. I kind of took I I took over uh, WWA four indirectly from him.
3: Oh, did you? So, okay, okay. Oh yeah.
4: Yeah, so y'all know what kind of guy he is.
1: Yeah, yeah. R I P <laughs> you
4: know bless him. Um uh, between him and Don Lewis I dealt with some characters breaking into the business. Uh who my dad ran into this past weekend, by the way, Larry. <laughs> so he's still alive. Um oh my uh, God. but anyway, I, I you know, I came back to Georgia trying to find places to work. Uh at the time, Wildside was getting coverage in, if you remember WoW magazine.
2: Mhm,
4: um, which was the first shoot wrestling magazine ever. Oh yeah. Um, so it was. Uh, so I'd see about. I was like, where the fuck is Cornelia, Georgia? I, I'm reading this in Texas. Like, where is Cornelia, Georgia? And I got that. You know, I moved back, and then would go to different places and try to see. And then I, I can't remember. I met Chris before I moved – that's right. I met Chris before I moved to Texas because he was running good old days. Yeah. And so I would, you know, hope to get trained, and I was supposed to get trained and never got trained, Um, you know. And good old days because, you know, some of the WCW developmental guys would work on the show. It's where I first met Cross and John Phoenix and stuff. And AJ, I think, saw AJ work a the show there. Um, And Jack was always the big draw, um New Jack. So um so I reconnected with him and he was running the school so I had a place to wo- train so I was happy with that and he apparently reached out to Bill and got me and Tony hooked up and then we did the started the Friday nights working each other and then eventually um did the tag team thing.
2: Yeah, in those early days you feuded with the Lost Boys, you feuded, feuded with Blackout. Lost and on for a number of years. You guys went back and forth in all different configurations.
4: Yeah, the loss, you know, a blackout right off the bat, which was, you know, at the time, you know, it still is. Very meaningful for me because uh, I looked up to murder because, um, you know, I knew him when I was working ring crew for uh, Don Lewis and he was going to train me, but we never got the ring up in time and stuff. So it was cool to come back. And, you know, wrestle him as almost a peer at that point. And then the Lost Boys, you had four guys who were just trying to reinvent tag team wrestling and coming up with crazy moves. And the Lost Boys, the stuff they can come up with is, it still is ridiculous. And then Tony's wanting to keep up with him, and then there I am trying to piece it all together to try to make it make as much sense as possible.
1: <laughs> yeah, those are some wild matches for sure. Yeah, yeah. Todd you you know you're you're getting to you're uh, god I hate saying this cuz it's going to make you sound older than maybe you are but in wrestling terms you're very old in the sense that yeah. like you've been in multiple eras like people I was debating with somebody whether the talent now was the equal of talent then my conclusion or my assessment was the talent levels are similar it's just it used to be a much more concentrated thing, right? So, like, Wildside, it seemed like if you were good, you were there, right? So, you look at that talent list, you look at that roster, and you just go, like, my God, everybody here either made it to, like, the big show or they're an instrumental part of wrestling in the state now. Um, and now it's just, there's less division lines and all that kind of stuff. So you'll see the guys get to work on multiple shows and things like that. But you went from being a guy trying to get on to a guy who did get on to a guy who, you know, worked with Bill Barron. So like my experience with Todd was just like Todd and Bill, right? Like that's my sphere of assessments, like Todd Bill booking over here, it's Jimmy Rave booking over here, and then there's me over here. Um, so that's what I thought of when I thought of Todd. Um, and then, Todd, you, you managed to do something that is almost impossible to do, which is to go from somebody who's seen as, at best, somebody's partner, but realistically, when you're with someone like Bill Barron's, there's there's no way that you aren't seen as, and I, I don't think you'll, you, you, this isn't meant to be an insult. It's just my perception, right? You're Bill's guy, right? Like, so Bill's here and he's teaching Todd how to do this and all this kind of stuff. But you've not only emerged from Bill's shadow, whatever the fuck that means, but like you're your own guy as a as a wrestler, as a talent, as a booker, I mean, when you look at what Southern Fried was at one point, where it was, I mean, it was the joke league. I'll just say it. It's one of a few places that I never told the guys that they couldn't work a place. But there were two places that I strongly suggested they not work. One was OSWA, because they were running near anarchy. And I just thought of them as, it was going to get us all shut down because they had fourteen-year-olds in the ring, right? Yep. And and the other was Southern Fried because that was the league where they didn't even set up the ring right, so it would rock back and forth, and it was oh the, my god, you're I, right. we, we we called it the fat guys hitting each other with trash can show, right? There so it, was it just is. Like, yep. um, and, you know, with the Ashley Blade, Clark's, and the Chris Todd, like. <laughs> you've transformed multiple leagues you've made ones that had maybe a decent following but the following that southern fried had is not the same as the like the way i would assess it is maybe at one point they had like larger average crowds but they were like a vo- they were like a volatile bullshit stock and now they're a blue chip stock where it's like, you know, okay. they're not going to go anywhere. You know that it's going to be a great show. Um, and I mean, that's because of you, that's an amazing legacy to leave. Um, what is, um, question out of left field, what does Kelly think about all this, <laughs> cause that's, you know, a very unique kind of relationship in the Georgia wrestling scene, right? She's going to be in, I mean, she's going to be in Halen's corner, is she not? Yeah.
4: So you'd have to call and ask Nick. (laughs) Oh. Oh, So, but Kelly, at the time, was extremely supportive. Um, In fact, um, you know, I, I, when I, I, you know, it was after, shortly after Brent's death, Um, and Danny only bought the company, through the why we wrestle gimmick. I, I'm going to try to make this work. Um, and no offense to Danny, but he didn't listen to me and do what he wanted to do. And I was like, okay, I I don't need this stress because my anxiety was after Brent's death. I was, you know, just every little thing bugged me. Um, it just, it happens with grief. You know, and then Charles sent Kelly a message on Facebook asking if it was all right to offer me the spot for Southern Pride, and Kelly told me, and I was like, "Huh, because like you said, you, you said the reputation of it. Y- you know yeah. what you said was the rep- the reputation of that brand, and I say, "Brand, look at me, sounding corporate of that promotion." Um, <laughs> you know, and I saw it as a challenge. Something new to do. I was like, because I've only booked at Landmark for the Friday nights and then Anarchy and stuff. So it was like, okay, this could be something different, you know, something, you know, for me to do, something, you know, challenging and stuff. And and I, I looked forward to it. It was like something reunited the fire. Like, okay, I, you know, this gives me something fresh slate. You know, jump into something, see what a guy here, see what I can do with what I got. You know and and then take it from there, and by the way, just to backtrack to your earlier statement, yes, you're totally correct as far as the perception of me working with Bill. That was the perception, and I was fine with it because I was you know I was doing my end of it, and uh, quite a few you know I'm one of the few people who you know Bill wouldn't you know would wouldn't try to rip apart my ideas, and we talk about stuff and everything, and I learned so much from Bill. And I know the perception yeah. was, oh, table Bill, and maybe that's also one of the reasons why I took the job, you know, subconsciously at Southern Fried is that it's just me. And then I, uh, a year or so later, I brought Bill in because he had he was developing Marcus McGriff, and Griffin, I gave them a platform.
1: Amazing,
4: right?
2: That's yeah, great. Uh, how did you um, get into the booking end of things in, in the first place? Um, I started.
4: It was the Friday night shows. I started helped uh, suggest well it's funny when you look back on it because it it's it's really weird, like early on, like when I first got to Wildside, side I'm the one who suggested doing a um a, like three way angle with blackout and lost boys and t n t and that happened. I suggested the thing with Jeremy Lopez, and that happened sometimes I suggest them to Dan and Dan would take him to bill, but the ideas I would suggest would get used um and then on the Friday nights, you know uh, a lot of the you know, and, and, you know, the, the upper guys, top guys wouldn't do the Friday night shows. And, um, I was probably one of the few who did, and that's not a knock on other guys there and everything. It's just the perception of the time. And, you know, guys would come in and work the shot occasionally, but, you know, and I'd start suggesting things to Rick as he's baking, uh, booking them. Bill would be there occasionally, but not often, but I would like, you know, try to develop stories and stuff and, you know, try to work at the booking thing. And that's where the ball really got rolling as far as me actually doing some booking. Um, and I got to thank Rick for that, for getting that ball rolling. And then um, and then Wildside shut down, Anarchy started. I was really making a big play at the time to go to get into FIP, which was basically at the time the door to Ring of Honor. Mm-hmm. And Gabe wanted to use me and stuff. And I, did, I already did a couple of Ring of Honor shots, but I really wanted to... That was going to be my goal. I was like, you know, and to really make it do that and then um the whole booking regime and anarchy kind of fell apart and jerry palmer came to me and asked me and at the time uh my ex-wife had got pregnant with xander and i i got a house up here in cornelia so it was kind of I was locked into the area and when my son was born i was planning on you know i didn't want to be on the road all the time you know i mean that that's not the person i am and um and then it all just kinda came together. I was offered the spot and you know, and dove head first and then Bill came in a little later, which was good to have the support because some of the older guys were like, you know, probably didn't take me seriously. But having Bill there gives that that gravitas to the situation of what they're being told to do.
1: So so Todd, like I you know, it's so hard to not draw parallels um between me and you, even though our situations are different, you are actually good in ring.
4: <laughs> <But, laughs> you got to work but, with Piper though. So you got to do something with Piper. So for that I'll always hate you for an so envy yeah. you force. You got that to hang your hat on, okay? Because <laughs> I resent the know, fuck out of you for being able to do that.
1: <laughs> so you're you know, you're you're wrestling Nick Hale in. I think you know, when I'm looking at this last run, I mean, this is this is you know, weird story about me. But at one point, like, I had a legitimate shot of like writing for WW then F, and you know, I had to go through all of these hoops and jump through all of these hoops because I'm who the fuck am I, of course, and all this stuff. And uh, let me interrupt you know, the, real
4: quick, Steve. Steve, just for a time frame, what year is this? I just like to, I'm interested. What time? What year would this be?
1: This would have been very early 2000s, so probably 2002, 2003. Okay. And, uh, and, um, and so Ric Flair had just sort of gotten there recently. And gotcha. So there's like, okay, so I, I made it through this hoop. I made it through that hoop. I had actually interviewed over the phone. Things seemed like they were going pretty good. And they're, like, come up with, like, a huge angle that's like, encompasses six months, multiple shows, multiple promos, any number of surprises, all this stuff, right? So I came up with the uh, – I called it the Flarewell Tour of how I would book Ric Flair's retirement. And in that thing, it was an excuse because at the the time they were using, like, they clearly wanted to use – Ricky Steamboat for a thing, which they ended up doing with, like, Jericho wrestling him and Piper and, you know, Snuka and all that kind of stuff. And they yeah, Steamboat did wa- the run of Ring of Honor. Yeah, it, they saw Steamboat yeah. could do shit of and, Ring and of they, Honor. And they clearly wanted to find a way to use Sting. And so my thing was, like, well, Flair basically announces uh, my goal. He's like, I'm going to recreate my greatest moment in WWE. I'm winning the fucking Royal Rumble, and I'm going to go into WrestleMania contending for the title. And that's going to be my last match win, lose, or draw. And if anybody wants a shot at me, come get me now. And so his old rivals come out of the woodwork, like Piper and, like, Steamboat and blah, blah, blah. Obviously, they fucking love this thing, right? Like, they were like, oh, my God, this thing is amazing. I'm not saying they cribbed any of the ideas from it. I'm just saying, like, I think I kind of caught them off guard, and it, because it was yeah. this idea of they were in the unique position of being able to get all these guys right yeah, you've you got, you got
4: your wrestling figures on the table, and you and you're putting it together, and they can fucking fulfill that
1: yeah, and I'm yeah. looking at who who you've worked during this last run, and how wonderful it is, and it's and it's guys that I mean it's all guys. Well, I'll just say just about I think this is right. It's all guys who were always good, but then they stepped away from it. And then when they stepped back, instead of having, you know, oh, they're still pretty good, it seemed like that time off gave them this new perspective and this renewed energy, and they had never been better, whether it's someone like Nausea or Nick Halen. I mean, like... These are the guys that you're getting to work. And I thought, like, it's really wonderful because you resemble that remark as well, right? A guy who went for long stretches without working in the ring, but like you said, with COVID, you come back and you're able to do it at a level that is, this is going to sound like a bad word but at the at the least it's respectable because we've seen people kind of embarrass themselves in a ring and we politely don't say anything about it, but yeah. you're actually going to get to have, this is what's exciting. Just from a sheer, like, if I'm in Georgia and I don't go see your last match, I'm just saying, I'm a dickhead, right? If you've been a part of the Georgia wrestling scene, I mean, there's so many people whom we will never, oh, God, why why am I fucking tearing up? Like, we will never get to see Jimmy Rave to wrestle his sort of ideal last run. And that's, that's, that's a tragedy for a wrestling guy who's a real wrestling guy. And even when you and I, I would consider us rivals. You might not have even considered me on the radar, but like I never would have questioned um, that you were a wrestling guy. And I mean, people don't know this story, but you know, sacred ground happens and Todd is staying in the same um, hotel near Porterdale. And so the next day after we have, Sacred Ground 3, which was, you know, the biggest show in PCW history. By the way, this year is the 10th anniversary of that show, which is insane. Yeah, that is crazy. And then Todd and I, who never talked to each other really, ever, we meet the next morning. <clears throat> you know, I I crawl out of bed with some young person
4: <laughs> and meet Todd <laughs> You know well I'm glad you we said that because I was going to name drop her right away because she was you caught <laughs> me in the comments.
1: and she, and and Todd and I just sit there and we're mapping out this fight between p c w and anarchy and I remember thinking like how fortunate I was because to me it was a sign that i I had arrived enough that todd and but Todd had that excitement of. Like, for, for the two of us, it was like the wardens weren't around. Our mentors weren't around. Like, the old guard of, of Georgia Wrestling wasn't around. And it was just two wrestling guys, like, just mapping out these ideas. And, and like you said, we had all the figures on the table. We could do whatever we wanted. And it was so exciting. So I was thrilled that you're getting to not only kind of go out how you want to go out, but that people can witness it. I, 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 We can't let these moments... God, if we've learned nothing fucking else over the last three years, you can't let these moments just happen without acknowledgement. Because Jimmy Rabe is dead, and we're not going to get to see that legacy. I'm glad that murder... Now, he may not believe this. I'm glad that Southern States is happening because it feels like... And I'll just say this, and murder won't either call me happy or angry. Um, There's no fucking excuse this time, right? He's getting to do what he wants to do. He's not beholden to Josh Wheeler. He's not beholden to anybody. They're either going to do these two shows a month with the combine, which worked, right? So he's getting to show his shit. But to me, it's like Todd is getting to show his thing. His last match at Anarchy was a fucking great one, by the way. Fucking thing was Thank great, you. right? And now you're getting to it's, I'll just say it. It's the fucking house that you built. And you're getting a fucking riffle Nick Halen, who has never been goddamn better. I can't even believe I'm saying these things out loud. Five years ago, it was like a Todd Sexton is going to run on Mick in his last match at Southern Friday. What the fuck? Like none of that makes sense. None of it makes sense. But here we are. And you're in, you're in like, you're physically able to go, but you've mentally never been better. And I always tell Larry, that's the most exciting thing in the world to me. It's that, you know, yes. when that, that juncture of, I can physically do what I want to do, but mentally I can maximize everything that I can do. And you're to I mean, my last opponent was Shane fucking marks. Your last opponent is Nick fucking Haley. Like you just, I don't know. I just, I'm happy. And there's so few moments in wrestling in general, and especially lately where you can just go, ah, damn it. It's going to be great. Well, I mean, I know that already. Like, whatever that match ends up, maybe, you know, you're going to nitpick it. Of course you are. But at the same time, like, my God, Todd, it's fucking great. <laughs> and the fact that it's happening at all is amazing. And I keep – I'm just saying this to people who are listening. You for Todd to turn out for this shit because – it's never going to be like this again. We don't we never know when we're in the good old days as you brought that league up. We never know when we're in that time. This is one of those times where we're gonna look back and if you're not there and you could have been there, you're gonna be sorry that you weren't there. Um, because it deserves that kind of attention. I'm sorry I'm fucking preaching, but that's how I feel
4: yeah, you covered a lot of stuff, and then I'm going to try to pick at it. And, Steve, I, I can't thank you enough for those comments and stuff. Um, but, yes, going back to oh uh, – I'll go back to the beginning. Sacred Ground. Yeah. Um, I was asked to come to the show by Bill and somebody else because they had a big match. Um, and I also wanted to go see it because I've heard about PCW and stuff. I love the atmosphere. And we got to just say little things because you're fucking busy running the show. And But the next more, Yeah. And it was really cool. Like the next morning we were staying at the same hotel, came downstairs. We're both eating breakfast. And uh, Kelly goes over to talk to your friend. And I come and sit with you. And it was good to talk to you about, you know, because I was like, where did you? People's histories um, intrigue me, uh, where they come from in the business. You know, and then you had the the midget wrestling and driving around Jake, doing the things with Piper. Didn't you do something with Savage, too? When there's something with Macho Man, I remember? Yeah, I
1: was on the, I was on the Macho Man Slim Jim Tour for a while. That's run. what it was.
4: That's what, yeah. wow. So that's what I mean. Like all those things we talked about and stuff. And so it was very cool, that moment. Yeah, and he talked about real moments, which are so rare in what we do. Because we're playing a part. We're giving the perception that everything means the world to us. I had this conversation with uh, David Ali before he went out for his, uh, his last match in Georgia against Allen Angels. I was like, you don't get many opportunities to have a real moment out there. This is it. So take advantage. Enjoy it. Drink it in. Let it come to you. Don't rush anything. Just just feel it because that's what – that's the thing. Those are the special moments that we don't get, you know, all the time. You know, yeah, it sucks that I, I, you know, I can't do anything with, with Jimmy on this last run. You know, I got to do stuff with Sal. I got to do stuff with Judas, with Buck, with Bobby, with Adrian, and uh, Naj, with Javier Reyes, you know, and David Ali. You know, I was able to step in the ring with kids that I never thought I'd wrestle because I thought I was past it. I got to wrestle Marcus and Griff. I thought I was done past that. You know, I mean, to have those moments to where I know I got to do this and the fact that they wanted to do it, you know, mental means a lot because, you know, you think you're a big deal. You think you matter to people, but you never know. And in this, in this industry, it's the worst as far as believing your own hype and being in a position where you're on the, you're on the inside looking out and you don't know what people think. But the fact that, you know, I've had the people ask me to have matches with them on this list since I announced this retirement tour has been, it's been overwhelming and, you know, been humbling. And to go out there with Nick Kalen, who's come back into this, you know, who I trained and now comes back into the sport, and I always like to call it a sport, um, and is better, it is top level, and he's better than he, ten times better than he was yeah. when he last put on a pair of boots, and because of that maturity level, that mental maturity, which means so much, um, and, so he's, and to go in there, in a perfect world, I go out there like I did with Cal Matthews or David Ali or Nash. I have a great scientific match. But I do not do that because the guy's hanging around with my wife, my, my trainee, the guy I brought into the Sex and Alliance, who I gave opportunities to be presented as to show how good he is, spits in my face and is throwing up Facebook posts every day with GNR lyrics just to fucking rub it in. Because of our love mm. for Guns and Roses, which we, should, we used to always talk about. So it the the, shrew, the shoe hasn't dropped yet for me to realize things, and I think it'll come down, you know, Saturday. I mean, the stress is there. The anxiety is there on so many levels, not just having the show, the biggest show we have every year, but also being my last match on the biggest show we have every year. So it's, you know, take that anxiety and, and turn it up several notches.
2: Yeah, a little little bit of pressure there. A little bit. Todd, I wanted to ask you, you know, um, about the retirement tour. The the, um, Hunter James, um, you know, that was supposed to be one match, and it turned out to be three matches. Mm. And just your thoughts on that series of matches with Hunter James.
4: I was asked. You know, uh, I, I discussed this with Rick and Matt. Matt Hankins, not Matt Sells, Although, why not discuss it with Matt Sells too? Um, but wanted one, one last match in the building, and you know, I know, you know, I, I'm a booker, so I know not to, you know. And I was like, well, what about the Friday night? Because the Friday nights mean a lot to me, because that's where I got my start, and I spent so much time there. Even though, so- I remember Jimmy saying, well, you shouldn't wrestle Friday night because you don't seem like a bigger star. Like, I got to learn. You know, I told him, like I gotta, you know, I got, I need the ring time, I gotta learn, and uh, and plus I love fucking wrestling, and and we were discussing it, and Hunter's name came up, and I said yes because that's one of my kids I train, train with him every week. We did the first match, I want to make him look good, and Rick fucks me and puts me over in the middle of the match. We get the call for the finish, we come back. They say, <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs>
4: yep. Hilarious. You haven't heard that, Steve? Yeah, I was. Po- yeah, it was supposed to be one match, Hardcore Hell, my last match in the building, and th- the reaction is so strong, and Rick is running around the back asking if he should change it, and we did the double down, and I get the I get the word that finish is changed. I'm like, son of a bitch. And then he's like, No, you can't retire, we'll get one more match. I was like, Okay, we got time and he asked me what match I wanna do and do an Iron Man match at the N C W show. Okay. Thirty minutes and it's fucking hundred and something degrees in that building and y'all both Oh my god. Yes. And it was like the first truly rotten heat. This past Saturday was nothing compared to it was that Friday. There's like forty something people there. So I was like, Okay, I started in this building and forty people, I'll end it with forty people, wrestling thirty minutes in this Iron Man match, which was I couldn't be more proud of, and um, then we write, uh, have him in the cross face, time's expired, and the motherfucker taps. And I'm like, and apparently this time, it was planned in advance to fuck me. It's the reverse Montreal cruise job, where I'm <laughs> trying to lose, and I can't.
0: <laughs>
4: so, we do the ladder match this past week, and... At that point, though, I was getting ready to tell him, I like, I'm going to climb up that fucking ladder and grab the belt and fuck you because you've fucked me twice, so nothing <laughs> else can stop me this time. <laughs> and, and, you know, I will say this about Hunter. If he keeps doing what he's doing, he is going to be somebody who matters in this sport. Yeah. He, he is so good beyond his years, a natural in the business, a great athlete, which is a given, but that's the easy part. The athleticism, because that he he comes with that. That, that. that can't be taught, but he learns the other things. He asks the right questions, tries to learn, watches the stuff that is advised to him to watch, and picks up on the nuances that he's supposed to be watching for. He,
0: yeah.
4: um, he will be somebody who matters sooner rather than later, on a much bigger level than just in Georgia right, and it was it was and, and just for the record, I'm very proud that my last match was in there with uh, somebody I helped develop, much like my last match will be
1: with somebody who I trained um, this Saturday mhm mm-hmm. and I mean as as upset you might be at Kelly right now, I think Kelly being there but, uh, uh, I hope this doesn't hurt your feelings, Todd. But, like, when when the Sexton Alliance was going on, and th- thanks for not using the names that I came up with, by the way. But, like, when... The I got Sextenal, you. I got you, Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> When... When it like, happens in the locker, locker room, it
4: stays in the locker room, my man.
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> I was as taken with what Kelly was doing as anybody. When I would assess matches, I would go like, she's fucking, she's not just good. She's great, right? From like clothing choices to how she was at ringside, just she gets it. And it, as, as annoying as it might be to have Halen kind of using her as a cat spa in many ways and her in her own way showing that like, I've got my own identity that's got nothing to do with Todd. It's only right that she's there. I think it's really cool that she's there. You may disagree with this, but I think it's it's only right that she's there. And I mean, just fantastic. I just I you know, I think back again to 10 year Todd. 10 years ago. That's fucking crazy. And that's just like and that's only at the halfway point of your involvement in wrestling. But 10 years ago, you and I were sitting there having breakfast, and there's Kelly. And I, I think about this kind of stuff all the time, because the older I get, right, <laughs> like, the more you do this kind of thing. And, you know, exactly, I, talk to Jeff yeah. G, I talk to Jeff G. Bailey every fucking day, right? And Matt Hankins is my guy. And so I'm thinking about how all of these things intertwine, how I've gone from Bill Barron's trying to like fucking block everything that I wanted to book
0: 10 years ago (laughs) to,
1: to now like, you know, just messaging me about stuff and asking questions and like, it's like what it took to become where I felt like I was a peer and you're beyond just being a peer. Like you're a leader. Your legacy is everywhere. If there are, If there are truly three leagues that in their own way really matter, right? And we talked to Tim earlier, and he wants IWE to be in that upper echelon, and they're just about there. But the big three, either historically or in terms of crowd or whatever, are Southern, not necessarily in this order, but it's Southern Honor, Southern Fried, and Anarchy. And you have a big hand in helping all of those shows. That's a pretty gu- – that's a, that's a legacy, I would argue, that nobody else has ever had in Georgia wrestling. There's a big three, and you have a major hand in all three? That's, un- that's unparalleled. I know, I know I'm speaking a lot and kind of throwing all of this stuff out there, but people need to fucking know. That's amazing. You're in that fucking Southern Honor locker room, and they need you. And your influence is obvious. Like, they're finally booking what I would consider to be a wrestling show with heat that makes sense. Just because they're drawing big crowds doesn't mean it was the best fucking show. I'm just saying that. But you helped make that, that show. And Southern Fried was the fat guys hitting each other with trash can shows. And now it's the show where guys go to learn. If somebody had told me five years ago, yeah, <laughs> Southern Fried is where you're really going to get coached up by Rick Michaels, Todd, Bill, <laughs> and every and Matt Hankins. Like, think Larry pointed that out. Think about what you're walking into in that locker room at Southern Fried, and who you're learning from, and who's contributing ideas, unparalleled in Georgia wrestling history. And then Anarchy, which has been – put a, we put a toe tag on whatever was been in that building so many times that it yeah, defies So many times
4: that bed, that's been on his bed.
1: So many times. I mean, where Duke Ingram is texting me, right, on Saturday going, it's really disappointing that only 100 people are here right now. Now, it ended up being 160. But the fact that we're talking about – I mean, when – when Danny only is having the wrestler slap the mat and chant, "This is why," and I'm just, oh my God. I'm just like, I'm, I'm, am co- covering my head in my hands, a state away, just going like, "My God, can somebody just roll a grenade in that building and end this bullshit, right?" Oh my and God. It's like, you're bringing back nightmare, Larry. How many times <laughs> have you, Larry, Larry, how many times have you and I privately said? there doesn't need to be wrestling in that building anymore they just need to end it i yes. mean <laughs> any number of times i said it <laughs> but but thanks to and i'm going to give credit where it's due thanks to fucking dan thanks to you and thanks to hankins and yes rick being there as well but it's those three guys that saved wrestling in that fucking building like and you've got a hand in all three, and all, and you're getting your fucking flowers. You know how exciting that is for people like me or Jeff? I mean, Jeff may have reached out to you. He may not. But let let me tell you this about Jeff, and he'll get mad, but who fucking cares?
4: Yeah, I'll make fun of him for it, too, so go ahead.
1: So, like, fucking it. We're big on this. Like, people deserve their goddamn flowers. And, and Jimmy's death... And all the rest of the things that have happened have made that an even more important thing. And you deserve your fucking flowers. You deserve Kelly to be there. And for her to fucking perform at this level and Nick Halen to be at the top of his game and being your opponent in a place that loves you because they owe you. God damn it. And you're getting to, you put all of these places in such a good position and now you get to have the platform that you created, but it's not a selfish, I'm booking myself to win the title bullshit. It's you're contributing to Shindig would not be as big of a show without you. And so it is only right that you are contributing to their biggest show of the year. And, dude, I'm just fucking happy. I'm happy for you. And there really is no feeling other than positive. And how rare is that fucking bullshit in wrestling? (laughs) So it's like, I just wanted to say all that because you deserve to hear it, first of all. And God, I mean, it's just so exciting um, because we're not going to see anything like this again. So I'm just going to say that. We're never going to see anything like a Todd Sexton. We're never going to have a guy who learned from the ground up, paid every due imaginable, made mistakes, sure, but who didn't, if he did anything at any kind of level, and ended up getting out of Bill Barron's shadow. I'm just going to list all your fucking shit right here. <laughs> worked with his wife. Worked with his wife, and it didn't suck. <laughs> right? Right, right. It didn't suck. <laughs> like, helped stable it. When I went to Southern Honor, I'll just fucking say it. I know the locker room thing. I chewed those motherfuckers out. I chewed Dylan and fucking you know Gary out. And I said, you need someone to run this goddamn locker room. This is fucking shit. This is this is a bunch of guys. Here's here's Gunner and the Lynches in one corner of that building. Here's Huckabee starting a bunch of shit in the middle of the locker room, rabble rousing and, and causing little like. And when I said, you guys need somebody there, I had no idea who. But when they're like, well, I think we can get Todd, I just went, oh, my God. Well, shit, if you can get Todd, you fixed it. I mean, I just remember saying that. Well, then you fixed it. Like, that's the level of what I know, right? I was just like, oh, then they fixed it. And you did. And anarchy is all, it's not just alive, it's thriving. And you're part of that, and you're working. And here's the thing. Who's your rival right now? True, like, rival. You don't have one. You're part of this renaissance of everybody's working together and doing great shit, right? You and Hankins are working together. And you and Bill are working together. And it's like you've been a part of this fucking wonderful moment. You're maybe the player that connects the whole thing. And that's pretty fucking amazing. And sorry, I'll stop talking for a while. <laughs> So, but it needed to be said.
4: Oh, you, you, I, I can't thank you enough, Steve, for saying that, especially publicly on air and stuff. We've had our conversations and stuff, but nothing to that extreme, and thank you very much. Um, uh, backtrack, um, yes, I have to deal with Kelly as it is this Saturday, but as a performer, my gosh, she blossomed. She, she went, you know, unbelievably, she gets it. And but, you know that uh, you mentioned about. Uh, you gotta think about this. Southern Friday on Saturday at Shindig in that locker room will be myself, Rick, Bill, Dylan, Dan. Is there another one? There's another one. I think. Matt. Sorry. Hey, there you yeah. go. Six guys yeah. who have won Booker of the Year. In the locker room. Oh, my God. Not. Oh, oh man! Uh, oh. I mean, yeah. You can't. I mean, and, and that's what I try to do. I try to bring the best guys together. You know, even guys that have heat and stuff, bring them together to work together to.
1: For what with healthy that, egos, with every one of those guys has well, a yeah, healthy everybody, ego. Everybody's but, got the best but, idea.
4: No, but, but nobody's but nobody's idea.
1: tearing it. Nobody's tearing it down. And that's, I mean, everybody talks about, oh, everybody needs to work together, and I've always shit on the notion because things happen as they should as opposed to forcing this weird alliance. The yeah. Fucking guys who know what the fuck they're doing will find each other, and so it has happened, and you're the major there component in all of it.
4: Thank you for saying that. But, yes, so the guys that know, know. That's why me and you will talk about – whatever fucking stupid topics going on. That's why me and Larry will talk about whatever stupid things going on. I will do it with Matt, with you know, Rick, you know, whatever. I mean, you know, me and Bill obviously talk, you know, constantly. But it, it, you know when you know when people that care, care, and have something, you know, like you said, wrestling guys. There's wrestling guys, you know, and in the business and the industry and stuff. And especially on this level, it's a Georgia level, it's different. Yes, it's not on multi-million dollar TV contracts, but it means a lot because we've seen the people that have come out of here, you know, I mean, and what can be accomplished by the people that come out of here. And just, hey, you know, like I said before, if somebody's the whole career, as is mine in the Georgia Independence, then I got nothing to be mad about. I got to wrestle AJ Styles and Kenny Omega. You know, I got to do this, that, and the other. You know, I got to I got to drive Chris Candida to go buy blades for Terry Funk at a Mid-South show in Indiana.
0: <laughs> <laughs> those
4: are the moments. I took Scott Hall to Waffle House to eat because he was bored at the arena. And we sat there, and he fucking took a toothpick out of the toothpick gimmick at Waffle House as we left. And I mean, you know, those things you remember spending time with your heroes... And the people that you, you know, you respected and worshipped and stuff as a kid and as a love of the sport, those are the things that you, were, you, know, you can look back on. You know, Tony I was a mark for. I love the FBI, especially him and Guido. I was like, These guys are awesome. And then get to work with him several times and learn from him and spend time with him as not just a peer but a friend, you know, those moments. in developing the relationship I did with Jimmy Raven to see Jimmy's career blossom. And to being on pay-per-views and stuff, but then also being right there and dealing with the hardships of it going down, you know, it's seeing Sal and Judas. I just watched them on NWA last night. Yeah, I can't tell you how proud I am of that, and how happy that makes me. It's crazy, yeah. You know, yeah. So I mean, you know, I mean, it's. It's an industry, as you know, Steve, and as Larry as you've seen, that doesn't give much back. No. You know, I mean, it. but if you have those moments and stuff and you can be proud of it and everything and, you know. And like you said, you mentioned our, our, our you know, our little triage at the fucking whatever the hotel it was and eating the fucking waffles. It. it but that was cool. <laughs> That was, you know, that was, a, that was, a, you know, I remember that. Like you said, you remember those things. As we get older, we remember the little things. And, and God bless Bill for putting up those Wildside clips because there's shit going on there. I was like, oh my God, I didn't know I worked that guy. Oh my God, I forgot about this match. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it's, it's a good, you know. And as I've told you, Larry, if, you know, when we, uh, we talked about doing the uh, Tracy Smothers show. Yeah. You know, when he passed, and, and I tried to talk you into doing it, and. I was like, if we don't do it, who does? He was such an, an important part of Southern wrestling. If we don't do it, you know, who who does? You know, where as you said, where did he get his flowers? Yeah. You know, and what you guys do for for the for the Georgia scene has obviously been well documented and well put over, but also, you know, the history as well and stuff and, and guys that you you don't want to be forgotten. You don't want them to be forgotten and stuff, so I mean you guys deserve your flowers as well, so
1: you know, when you look at a guy you know, when you look at the guys of the past, Charlie Smith and Jimmy Rave and all of this, it's like again, it's so rare there is no place like Georgia wrestling right now. I don't wanna hear that shit from anybody. There's no place that has the level of coverage. I mean, like Todd said before, I work. And, I mean, pretty much, why was I late today? Because it's like, okay, I can get two hours to sleep from four to six. <laughs> and then it's like, and then my alarm went off, and it was one of those rare times where I just couldn't struggle up because I'm just like two hours of sleep in 48 hours. It's like, you know, but so That's I'm, I'm exhausted. Well, but, you know, it's where I'm at, right? And, and yeah, exactly. but it's like,
4: you it right
1: but, like, but I'm calling in and I'm realizing like, you know, but Tim's talking about this Joe Black thing. Which, Todd, think about how insane this is. So, you know, Joe Black gets headbutted by this fan. A million, a million, one million people watch that clip. Cornette's talking about that clip. It's on TMZ. This is the Georgia scene right now, right? Yeah. With, without the Georgia scene and guys that Todd trained and Murder had a hand in and guys that I trained, like, AEW doesn't have half of dark,
0: <laughs> right? <Like, laughs> oh,
1: Where yeah. the guys are getting paid $750 a gig during COVID. If yep. people don't understand how insane pro wrestling is right now, where AJ Styles is re-signing for millions of dollars, where Cody Rhodes, who, who like, graced many a ring, including Southern Honors in his last indie thing, right, is getting $5 million. Like, do people get how nuts this is? Where you know shows that I go to, I go to shows like I'm I, like if I can get out of work early enough, I'm going to Mayhem on Mills, and I think about like that quirky little show which I kind of like in the PCW, but you know it's like oh that's where I first saw this person who's now signed with AEW, you know, or I get to work at IWE and there's Santino Morella's daughter and I go like she's really good and then WWE signs her within a month like. We are in this amazing time and Todd has been there for all of it, for decades <laughs> and you're getting the wrestle and and Larry's covering this shit. I mean, you know, when people are made fun of me because I'm not there, right? <clears throat> oh, he's from his couch in fucking Florida, blah, blah, blah. But I thought, like, I'm Obi-Wan Kenobi in this shit at this point, right? Like, I'm struck down, but I'm more powerful than I've ever been because, in a sense, like, because I'm able to just go, this deserves coverage. I'm not taking credit for all of it. It's Larry, right? But I was able to go, like, mobilize folks, right? So it's just like, this Duke Ingram, by the way, did you read Duke Ingram's report for Anarchy?
4: Yeah, he I didn't even going. think the ladder match was that good. I didn't even think the ladder match was that good.
0: But the guy can write
2: though. The guy can write. And I, I gotta match a shout And I gotta jump in and give a shout out to Rob Rod because we're talking about this coverage and he goes to that show in Florida and Yeah. It's a good a notice from a, Merrick Donovan says, we don't get stuff like this down in Florida, and that report gets more views than any of the reports from this weekend. This little show wow. he yeah. goes down in Yeah, because he goes to this That's show in Florida crazy. That, 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 doesn't crazy. Get any, that doesn't get any coverage. It's wonderful. I mean, wonderful.
1: Rob, Rod, Larry, Jabari now is in the freaking mix. Duke, yeah. Scott Hensley chimes in. Yeah. Jeff feels inspired to write. Like, This is all amazing stuff. Like, Todd is going to wrestle his last match, and it's not only going to happen, and it's not only going to be great, and it's going to be shindig, and it's going to help push shindig to be a contender for show of the year and all the rest of this great shit, but it will be covered, and you'll be able to look back. Dude, I, I mean, I know you know this already, but the ability for me to, like, look back, and read. Of course, video is wonderful. We all love video, and we love YouTube and all that other horseshit. But we're old people, and so the ability to go back and read somebody else's true perspective—who you respect—and getting to read that stuff—I mean, it's. I'm just so happy because not only do you deserve it, it's it's it's, it's amazing. It's, it's funny.
4: I, well, here, it's funny you bring that up. When Bill posts some shows, he'll post Larry's report from them. Yeah. And, yeah, I get excited about reading it because it was like, you know, 15, 16 years ago or even, you know, whatever. But it was cool to see the show report from back then. So that is like, you know, oh, this is cool. You know, you see Larry's perspective at the time and like, oh, that motherfucker said that. No, fuck him. Yeah. <laughs> but then he's yeah. like, oh, he said that. <laughs> <laughs> Larry was he I- came to the show.
2: I, I, probably was. I want to jump in and ask you if we could just back up as we're time winding down here. A couple of quick hits about stuff from your from your career. Yeah. Um, teaming okay. with Masada, the Texas Tech Club. I'm glad he was on my side.
4: Um, <laughs> you talk about, it's funny, uh, a few months ago somebody posted, uh, I think Bill, I don't know who did, it was a picture of me and Masada together. And uh, I want to say it was Skrilla made fun of the pants that I had on and stuff. And then Chip chimes in, like, you need to watch your mouth. Was like, this team would have dragged all of us back in the day.
3: And we <laughs> would have.
4: We were, you know, I mean, I was, you know, I was the light one. Um, which is, you know, and not that I'm super stiff, but when I first came from Texas, I was. Because Texas style is you work like a funk or you work like a feather. We were taught to work like funks, so we were laid for them. You never
1: heard that? It's amazing. <laughs> it's work like a funk,
4: or work like a feather. It's so good. And then, yeah. and you know, and at, at the time, okay. So when I was trained in 2000, the business was wide open, right? Everybody's doing shoot interviews in uh, newspapers and shit. So to make up for it, everybody's beating the shit out of each other. And uh, that's how we were taught. We came to Georgia, everybody's telling me and Tony, y'all need to lay up because we were just laying shit in because that's how we were taught and done. And yeah. then Masada comes in, and Masada is us, but a little lot bigger and a lot meaner. And and he's laying... And I love teaming with Brigham. And, and it was... And I think it was such a different dynamic because me and Tony lived together. We were around each other 24-7. Masada was in Texas, and he'd come in for shows. So it was a totally different I had the the two opposite possible tag teams being around somebody all the time versus being totally just on the, uh, just on shows and stuff. And I love with Masada and I, I think the world of him and, you know, and like I said, I'm glad he was on my side because it was like, I remember, you know, we were doing complicated tag team stuff and everything. And then they brought some guys up from Florida, Bill did, and they put them with us and me and Brigham are looking at him. I like, they're not going to want to do anything. You could tell. You know, you can tell when you get the old yeah. guys, the fat guys. And and then they were like, oh, okay, do that. And then they were like, then they started getting pissed at us in the match. And they, they chopped me in the back, which is my big, I hate that's that. my I big, hate it's gun time. And I went off and started, and this guy's twice my size, but I didn't care at this point. And I super kicked the shit out of him, and Masada gave him a Death Valley driver, and then oh thank you, thank you, and they walked away. And Bill comes up to us says, "How was that?" He's like, and Masada goes up, to Bill and goes, "Todd got mad. It was awesome." Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm the one always having, I always had to calm Masada down and say, oh, "Look, you got to lay off some of these guys and stuff," and then, but I, I my, the Texas Death Club, I thoroughly enjoyed and love.
2: Yeah. You you made a number of trips to uh IW we were free and rotten. Your thoughts on that, <laughs> that <was a> great <laughs>
4: question. <laughs> oh okay. Um first time I went there was for uh, you know, the uh, the tournament, Ted Petty tournament. Um, Jimmy got me booked and A J was in for a wild side show. And he's like, Oh, you're booked and he's like, Well, I'll make sure we work and I didn't think anything of other. and then I got to working. And it was you know, the only time we got to have a on screen match, we've done many behind the scene matches, but it's the only time we got to have one in front of a crowd and I got a please come back chant and stuff, it was great. And then I come back for other shows and stuff. I got to work with Matt Sidel, Chris Hero, Nigel McGuinness. But I always remember you sit in that shower room and you wait. And Ian just has that money going through it, and he looks around. I don't know what his order was, what he was deciding, when to pay, what to pay, but he was just looking around. It was like that old school, making the making the guys wait. Like, I have the power here. I got the money. And we just sit there for what seemed like hours, but it was like you know probably 30, 40 minutes, maybe in an hour. And he's just going through the money. We're all sitting there. Pay us so we can go. And it was just like, and he'd make eye contact with you, too, like you thought you were next, and then move away. And it was such like a such a mindfuck. Such a mindfuck. But but I had fun. I had a great time working up there. I did. I really enjoyed it and got to spend a lot of time with a lot of guys and got to meet a lot of guys and, you know, have fun matches and stuff and got to work with the guys that went on to big... I look back and I'm like, oh, yeah, I worked him, and he's now on fucking national television, but... Um, it was a, it was a good time.
2: I enjoyed it. Your first retirement that I found was February 2010. What possessed you? Was it was it a serious retirement? What was going on?
4: Uh, against my against Michael Adrian. Yep, it was against Michael Adrian for the Anarchy Heavyweight Title because I just got mm. the book, and oh my, my intent gosh. was to get out of the ring to focus on that, and it was the first. Classic, uh Sex and uh, Judas match. Uh, it was the first time realized we had you know because I was going to put over our big heavyweight champion, draw a house, which we did, off that, and then I could focus on behind the scenes and focus on the booking because I was still learning it. I just got it a, you know, a couple months prior, if that. And um so it was my, you know, that that's what that became. That was the work of retirement because I had to go, uh, you know, I wanted to learn and focus on booking and stuff.
2: Gotcha. Gotcha. Do, do you have any memory? What memories do you have of the match with Omega?
4: I, you know, every time I see that dragon suplex, I feel it. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that, feeling Um, I enjoyed it. You know, we had a good match, and uh, I remember he was—he's was very herky jerky. And I don't know if, if you understand what I'm saying, Larry. Steve might have a better understanding, but it's like a very yeah. not smooth in movements and stuff, and it was just a. And I've experienced that with a couple of other Canadian wrestlers, so I don't know if it's a Canadian thing or, or not. Mm. A, just just a difference in training and movement and stuff. But I remember enjoying it. Uh, he was he was a character even then. As far you know, what you see on TV is not different from what you get in real life uh, with him. Mm and uh, but I, I enjoyed it but like I said I, I remember those I remember when I see that suplex I can remember that that going over and stuff but I remember he thought it was funny because I was like the I was becoming the cool heel because I was doing the submissions and winning and I remember coming out and uh, I got a pop and he was like I thought you were ripping me I thought you told me I was a baby face and then you came out and you got a pop I thought you were ripping me I was like no I just, they're starting to they like the the submission stuff so
2: uh, last, last two questions. Um, changes in the wrestling business during your career, positives and negatives, and then Ooh. lastly, do you have any um, regrets?
4: Uh, changes in the business, that's such a broad question. I mean, we've already been talking a while. It's hard to go into all that. I mean, it, there becomes whether it's just the perception of being the old guy um
0: mm-hmm.
4: you know i mean you don't want to be that person and stuff it's like oh you know the kids today and stuff but you know there's a general lack of storytelling at times just because and and you got to remember as i teach guys it's you know i got to remember that they didn't grow up watching what i watched you know yeah. I, you know i'll send them stuff if i want to teach them more recently and then then take them into a little deeper dive because, it, they're, you know, it's a storytelling. It's not just getting your shit in. It's not just getting your moves in. And, and regardless on how big or small the guy is or what the story is of the match, just don't – you don't go through the checklist of getting your shit in. you got to go with what's good for – and I'm sure that's been the case for every generation that comes along, you know? I mean, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's a loaded question, question, Larry, that you probably should have hit at me about an hour ago we could probably so. we could probably discuss, could probably discuss yeah. that for that'd, that'd be a whole episode as far as changes agreed, agreed. you know um regrets um, i can't say that i have because when i had opportunities at the same time as my son was being born and you know you know i mean that you know i i turned down opportunities <laughs> because i had i had the biggest opportunity i could have you know, mm-hmm. and yeah. so, I mean, you know, there's no regrets. I mean, it may say the why we wrestled thing, but at the same time, you got to, you got to try things and you learn yeah. from them. You know, I mean, and maybe there was angles I ran that did not work, but didn't, I didn't know if they would work. So I got to try them, you know. So uh, where I stand right now, I got to say there's no regrets because, you know, um, going into this Saturday and stuff, looking, you know, looking, looking back and stuff. No, there's no regrets. I mean, you know, whether I would have done this or that, I would have become more successful on a financial level. Um, it wouldn't have led me to where I am right now with who I have in my life right now. So, you know, mm-hmm. I gotta say I'm I'm feeling pretty good about that. And yeah, I like the, you know, you know, I always said, and, I, and I'll tell you this. I remember having the conversation with Tony in – Tony Stradlin in, in our apartment in San Antonio. He was like, what would happen if we didn't make it? And I was like, "Well, I'd probably, I'd probably still be doing wrestling every week. You know, I mean, whether it's in the indie level and stuff and working on shows and stuff. And he's like, oh, I couldn't. I, I need to be big and famous and stuff and da-da-da. And so that was – you know, but that's how I felt back then. It was like I I love this sport, this business, this profession, you know. And and like we said, we're wrestling guys. We're always going to be around. Even if I stop booking, which is probably something that will happen eventually, you know, I'd still be training guys or working with guys and, you know, sending guys homework and stuff. It's just, you know, when it's it's there – it's there, and it's never going to leave. I mean, hell, Larry. You, how you long
0: love have you...
1: this shit. You love this shit. You know, shit. we
0: do. Jimmy when we, we Jimmy love Rave,
1: Jimmy, Jimmy Rave loved this shit. I love this shit. Like, we love this shit, and we're always going to be around, and we're always going to contribute. And you're... Even if we don't want to, we can't help it.
4: Even if we don't want to, we can't help it. You know, even when we get pissed yeah. off, something happens, and all three of us have been through it. All three of us J- have been like, fuck this shit. I'm done, this is fucking stupid, and then, then there we are. We're right back Jeff, into it.
1: Jeff is going to hate that I bring this up. You know, when Jeff laments the fact that he never worked for the big time for a living, yeah. right? I, and, you know, his his best friend growing up was fucking James Mitchell, right? They, they yep. knew each other since they were kids, clotheslining kids because they loved Blackjack Mulligan and shit. And, yeah, and Mitchell will bully Jeff. You, you, look at, you look at their two careers, right? So, you know, Minister made money, right, real money in WCW, hundred fifty grand a year, yep. whatever, right? And he's got dolls out now and all this kind of shit. But I tell Jeff, you can have two things. It's like when I used to help out martial arts schools and consult them. I'm like, you can put out great martial artists or you can make money, right? Yep. Um, which means you have to train kids. You can't be an adult only, UFC's changed that a little but the fact remains, right? It's like, do you want Mitchell's career where, yes, he worked in the big time, people know who he is, he made money, but he never got to do truly great work. I'm not saying he never did anything good. I'm just saying he didn't get to be the top fucking heel for 15 years, you know what I mean, like Jeff did and do this legacy of great work and promos that people can recite word for word. You know, like, you, yes, you didn't get to work for WWE on an extended run. Who the fuck cares? Like, you got to do great shit and truly contribute to the next generation. And continue to do so. You got to matter. You got to matter.
4: matter. It's funny you brought that up. Uh, I did the promo to set up the match with Hunter for Hardcore Hell, and Hunter goes, I have the mic, so I can talk, you need to shut up, he did Jeff's standard line, and I, and he did it, and he he's like, dude, I was he in it. here when Jeff invented that line, shut the fuck up, you know, I mean, I, I called him out on it, I was like, when Jeff G. Bailey invented that line, I was sitting in his locker room, so, you know, um, and... You know, I mean, yeah, yeah. Jeff deserves his flowers, as we this has been our new saying tonight and stuff.
1: I, I mean, yeah. Like again, I he couldn't got to be drive.
4: happier. Hey, hey, I go with this. This is my same heat with you. Where you got to do stuff with Piper. He and Mitchell got to drive around Dick Murdoch in Smoky Mountain. So, fuck yeah.
1: It. <laughs> And he got to meet Sonny before she was yeah. <laughs>
4: so, okay, you're stretching it now, buddy. You're stretching it. I pulled the Dick Murdoch card. You brought up Sonny. That's not looking good.
1: <laughs> that's not looking but, good. <laughs> so Todd, what's your final thoughts on going into going into Shindig, going into the thing with Nikael and, and Kelly? Like what's what's the thing that's going through your mind the most?
4: It's it's closure, in a way. I mean, you know, Kelly came and, uh, you know, she's been part of my career ever since we've been together. Um, and then, honestly, and I meant to bring this up earlier, when you look back at Southern Fried, the spark that lit the fuse was the Drew Blood, Todd Sexton, Kelly feud. Oh, wow. uh, that's what really started getting the... Uh, promotion exposure and dating back i even tried to get kelly involved in angles at at anarchy against a friend of yours and she was not prepared for it and then she was prepared for it and came in so uh, you know i mean her coming doing what she did and her being there is how it should because my career probably would not have lasted as long as it has if not for her and I've always said if I would have been with her sooner, I would probably be heavyweight champion somewhere with her support that she gave me through the run and stuff. And you know, she's had, you know, she she stood by me through some shit, you know, and, and you know, as we know, as all three of us know, we're on our phones constantly, are we not? You know, from yeah. everybody, you know, <laughs> so to think that you know to do that and to put up with that and yep. to be in there with Nick Paland a kid i trained who came back in this um came back and what we do and doing it at a level above all but a few around is you know and to do it on southern fried's biggest stage possible shindig which it, you know when you when you think about big shows in Georgia, Shindig is now up there. It you know it doesn't have the uh, legacy of Hardcore Hell, but it's getting there. Uh, the Rumble Jack is now becoming also one of the premier big shows in Georgia, as far as the yearly show people look forward to. So it's you know, it, and on a show of this caliber with the, all the matches we have. And stuff. And you mentioned Obi-Wan Kenobi and I need to finish watching the episode tonight, which I had to stop because we had to do this. And um, I want to thank you guys for having me on and saying what you said and having, you know, I mean, it's fun to talk about my career. And, you know, sometimes you don't think what you did mean something. And then when you see it or hear other people talk about it, it, it really puts it in perspective and stuff. You know, I mean, and, you know, obviously now getting towards the end of my in-ring career, it is, you know, a lot of nostalgia going on, looking back at things and stuff. So I really want to thank you guys for giving me the opportunity to to talk here. I'm
2: glad you wanted to say that. Yeah. Thank you.
4: Oh, here, real quick, and I'll say this publicly so I can say it um you know uh, about larry and, and steve puts over larry all, you know you put him over all the time as well you should i've known larry for over 20 years now and you know i think and, and to see what you put into to this sport is is inspiring and your passion for it because when shit's bad you call it bad when it's good you call it great even if you don't like the son of a bitch you're going to say it's good if it's good and if you like the person in it, and if you like the person and it's shit, you're gonna call it shit. Um, you shitting on uh, one of the main events for one the Anarchy show is what brought me back in at one point because uh, then Bill called me the next day. Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I
4: remember, so reading, I remember reading the report and I was like, I'm gonna get a phone call and sure shit, I did. It's when, uh, but you know, and and and, and full disclosure. You know, me and me and Larry mm. always had a good relationship, but I think during the pandemic, me and you got closer and discussed things yeah. and stuff. And you know, and it's become a different relationship now. Um, and to talk to you guys, you know, from a personal and professional perspective tonight, it'll probably be one of those things I remember and stuff. And it's been, you know, it, it's been it's been nice tonight, you know, and, and especially it lets me relieve some. Anxiety and stuff as we go into this weekend uh, of what we got. Uh, JJ has been so kind to; uh, he made a video uh, perspective of my career, which will be which will come out tomorrow. Um, oh, which, oh man, that's awesome! Which is uh, he showed it to me, and, and you know everybody else in the house has, has had tears on it and stuff. And JJ has done a phenomenal job on all the stuff he's done for Shindig. Um. He's just so talented and stuff and everything, so. Um, but thank you guys very much for having me.
1: You are welcome. welcome. Let's let's go over the details real quick before we get off of here. So, Shindig, uh, What when's it happening? This Saturday, June
4: 4th, this Saturday, June 4th, in Monroe at the Boys and Girls Club, where we've been running for a few years now. Starts at 7 o'clock. Um, It is I'm very proud Looking at the show um, For the Classics title Bobby Moore versus uh, Nogacism which is one of the most Two things that should not go Well but they fucking Kill it when they're in there with each other
3: Mm -hmm. Um, Exotic
4: Youth versus Palmetto Express for the tag team titles Strict 9's got an open challenge He wants the biggest fight possible Myself and my farewell Match against Nick Halen Um, a coffin match because we want to make sure WWE doesn't come after us for calling it a casket match so we're calling it a coffin match between (laughs) Javier Reyes and Michael Judas Um, a six man which will probably be insane and either greatly entertaining well it will be entertaining regardless whether it's good or not with undeniable (laughs) Matt Hankins against Happy Madness and Manners um Heavyweight title, two of the guys I consider the two of the best. Billy Buck, in my opinion, is the most professional, professional wrestler you will meet where everything he does is top-notch. Adrian Hawkins is another level as far as a performer, an in-ring wrestler, and a heel for the heavyweight title. And um, for no-holes-barred, Jacob Ashworth against Tank with Dan
1: uh, Reverend Dan at ringside. So, it, it is, it is the multiverse of Georgia wrestling in one place.
4: <laughs> like,
1: again, and I love
4: Marvel, so there you go. I'm trying to do it and do it right without killing. I mean, my God,
1: you gots to go. Um, I'll just tell people who are listening, you gots to go. And um, Todd, congratulations and uh Can't wait to see the match. Can't wait to hear about everything. Can't wait to read all the coverage that it's going to get. It's going to be amazing. Larry, any last thoughts?
2: Uh, I look forward to Saturday. (laughs) Yeah, man.
1: The ever
4: verbose Larry Goodman, ladies and gentlemen. Yes.
1: (laughs) He writes with the finger. (laughs) (laughs) well, Thank you, Todd. Uh, Thank you, Tim Blackman, for being on as well. What a humongous show this ended up being, even though some asshole called in late. Um, (laughs) um, Go to Shindig. Go to IWE on July 9th. Um, For Larry Goodman, I'm Stephen Platinum. Thank you for joining us for this very special edition of The Tipping Point.
3: thank you for listening
2: to this broadcast a production brought to you by the GWH radio
0: network
2: stay tuned to Georgia for the latest information on upcoming events and more as always we thank you for your continued support